You are Locked On Aggies, your daily podcast on the Texas A&M Aggies, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Howdy, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Locked On Aggies, my daily Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson back here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M, and today, why don't we go ahead and break down what in the world happened in Baton Rouge as the Bayou Magic somehow gives Ed Ogeron a fond farewell over Texas A&M. Thank you so much for making us your first listen every single day. You can check us out on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube.com. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. We are growing every single day. I am giving you daily content. I am very excited about this upcoming offseason. There is so much to discuss. A lot of recruiting stuff coming up, NBA stuff. So make sure you stay with us every single step along the way. As always, I am the host of the show, and I love public feedback. You can find me on Twitter at Mr. Cole Thompson, name right down there below. Any single time that you can give me something that you like, something you hate, tell me on Twitter, tell me on social media, message me, let me know, and I will add it into the mix. Secondly, make sure you're following Locked on Aggies. Locked on Aggies is your number one source for all things 12 Man related content found here on LOP. You can subscribe on iTunes, listen on Spotify, and if you can't do any of that, listen live every single day at LockedOnPodcast.com. Finally, make sure you're reading all my great work at allaggies.com. It is one of the many websites I work for for Fan, uh, fan Nation, mostly covering college football this season. That has been a big preface of mine. I cover AM exclusively for that site. So I'm very excited to see where we go with this. So make sure you're sticking along the way. 27-24, final score. That should not be it. It should be 24-20. That is the best way I can put it. It should be 24-20. And it honestly should be more. It really should for Texas A&M because the reality of the factor is when you look back at that game and I was there, I was in Baton Rouge, I got to watch it live, I got to see it unfold, I was on the sideline when that touchdown happened in the back of the end zone from Max Johnson. That's not the whole story. There's a lot of things that went wrong in that. And we're going to break down a few of them today. I'm going to probably break down a few more tomorrow. But I really want to focus on that because we also got to talk a little bit about LSU. We got to talk about Oklahoma. We got to talk about a couple of the other SEC programs. So we're going to get into that a little bit today. We're going to get into a little bit of that tomorrow. But let's start with the main one. There were a lot of factors that went wrong in this game. Uh, For starters, play calling. I have given Jimbo Fisher a lot of credit, and I do believe Jimbo Fisher is a great coach. I, I understand where people are looking at the Kevin Sumlin situation. I understand where people are looking at, you know, the win total from year one to year four, and I, I, I get that. I do. I understand that you're saying that we're paying a guy $9.1 million to basically be Kevin Sumlin 2.0. That's not true. I will say that when you look back at the start of the season, I told you one thing. The offensive line has got to figure it out. The offensive line has got to be in rhythm. The offensive line has got to be in sync. The offensive line has got to be the answer. And it wasn't at a lot of times during the regular season. So having two losses and finishing 10-2 and two was very plausible, in my opinion. 9-3 and three was also very plausible. 8-4 and four wasn't. 8-4 and four wasn't. And even though you are a little bit of a rebuilding roster, you're replacing Kellen Mond, you're replacing four of your offensive linemen, you're replacing a few wide receivers – You don't have that level of consistency. Your defense is your bread and butter. Your run game is your X factor. Those are things that you have established over the years that have been strong and in your favor. That's not the case. That was actually the furthest thing from the case. If I were to tell you that Zach Calzada was one of the few bright spots in the game, you would probably laugh at me because of he did miss a couple throws. He also had a couple of bullet throws that were right on the money that were dropped by wide receivers. I counted six drops. I think that uh, the stat line produced only four. Even Jimbo Fisher said, no, we had way more than four. I counted six. 
I counted two from Jalen Preston. I counted two from Moose Muhammad. I counted one from Jalen Watermeyer. I counted one from Devon A-Chain. Yeah, I think that's it. I'm like 99.9% .9 sure I counted six or seven. That was a big part of it. Calzada also made a couple of Aaron throws. He also missed a couple of reads. There was on three different occasions where I looked down the field and I'm reading the defense and I'm going, okay, five is open, eight's open. Uh, go hit the slam pat. Uh, go hit the slam powder. It's a deep crossing route to number zero. Go find an I Smith. And he does the dump pass. Still, if that's it, you got to include the drops in there. There was a lot of inconsistencies offensively on this game. The other thing, no run game. That is a big deal for Texas A&M. And I even said this. I was on Texas Radio, and I brought this up to David Nuno. I said that A&M has to trust its run game. And going into the third quarter, they had 10 rushing yards. Spiller surpassed 1,000 on the season. He did. He got past 1,000 in the regular season. He had 25. He had, I think, about 18 of those 25 on one drive. Uh, A-Chain had 42 yards, if I'm not mistaken. He originally had 56, and then, you know, the loss of yardage on plays. He had, I think, 40 of those on one drive. They won in certain drives, and that was it. They didn't win in monumental moments. And in the end, AM did its part enough to win until they did it. You look at the way the defense played, at least the front seven. Another great game. I mean, Tyree Johnson was a mobile the entire game. And what happened? AM basically said, We don't care. We are so going to be able to play our style of defense. And Michael Clemens. Three and a half sacks. I counted four. I guess they counted the uh, the one with McKinley Jackson as part of a half sack on the day. Leading the team. I mean, he was unblockable against both sides of the line. He lined up on the left side. He lined up on the right side. He did a fantastic job finding ways to win at the line of scrimmage. And then working his way back in. I counted twice where on two of his sacks, he had the outside leverage. He was completely locked. Basically shucked and swim underneath the guy to get back in and bring Max Johnson down from behind. Like a strike, like a cobra. That is something that is just you've wanted to see all season from this defense. DeMarvin Leal had another really, really good game. Lots of pressure up the middle from the three technique. When he played on the outside, he had a sack. You also had, I think Jaden Peavy had a sack in that game, if I'm not mistaken. And then Damani Richardson with the safety blitz. What a play. I mean, absolutely, what a play. That was one of the best hits I've seen all season from Damani. They've done their part with the pass rush. LSU they could feel that pass rush coming and closing the gap. The secondary was a problem. Because if, I know that everyone wants to talk about the Jenkins touchdown with 20 seconds left. Mar, you know, Miles Jones, not Miles, my bad, Jalen Jones got bullied. Jalen Jones got bullied a lot in that game against what I would call lesser tier wide receivers than he is a lesser tier cornerback. Jones, to me, is a premier cornerback, and I know that he's the number one on the team, but... You look at the way that he played in this game, he had a really good pass breakup, he had a really good deflection, almost jumped her out, and then got burnt twice, and then allowed two big-time plays, including the 28-yard touchdown, which, again, bad location. I get it. He was already, like, like the thing is, everyone was saying, like, well, he made an athletic play on the ball. Yeah, but the wide receiver was behind him the entire time. He made a play because if he was trying to break it up with the last bit of a fingertip because he was wide open, Jenkins in the back of the end zone for the 28-yard score. Like, that was the play. Really struggle performance from the younger players on the defense as well. Really bad news for one of these guys. Edron Cooper, we have no idea what his stats is. I was able to ask Jimbo about it after the game. He said that they know that he's going to be out for a minute. They don't know how bad of an injury it is. So that means his season's done. I don't know what it is, but his season is done. Like, it's 100% just over. That's a big problem for the bowl game. 
But there's so much that AM could have done differently in this game. Uh, you know, the way that I look at it, the good, Zach Calzada did not have a turnover. Like, you cannot blame Zach Calzada on this one. The other good, they were able to get seven total uh, sacks on the day, I think 18 total pressures. That's a really good number. If you get seven sacks on the day, you're supposed to win that football game. The bat, you allowed a late touchdown, and you allowed too many big-time plays by insignificant wide receivers. Tyrion Davis-Price was able to continuously move the ball without question at that second level of the defense, and then when Edron Cooper was out, it was like game over. Like, Aaron Hansford had no answers. Andre White had no answers. There was literally no answers. If he got past that line of scrimmage, it was not gains of two. It was gains of eight. It was gains of 11. It was gains of 14. And then the straight-up ugly, the play calling. The play calling from Jimbo Fisher, this was his worst play calling game that I have seen. I've been to AM games for the last year and a half. This is the worst one. I do not know what was going through his mind. I do not know what was going through Daryl's mind. I don't know why somebody on the offensive staff didn't say, we need to change it up. They are easily getting this. I mean, little dump passes were working half the time. And then the run game was actually working in the third and fourth quarter. And then you like to go straight to the pass. That to me makes absolute no sense. That to me makes absolute a travesty of play calling. And that's where I understand where AM fans are sitting this morning going, did we just pay $9.1 million for Kevin Sumlin 2.0? You didn't. And I'll, I'll walk you off that ledge on another day, maybe today if we have time. But that is why AM is not going to the, is not going to a Premier Bowl game. I'll tell you that right now. That's why. The third and two call, the one where it ended up being the last offensive play of the game that meant anything before AM was down. I do not understand that play whatsoever. I don't. And then when you watch the way the box was crowded and how they were playing in space, I don't know how you don't go ahead and just run it up the middle with Spiller or try to just get right off the C-gap, get it to A-chain, and then ice the clock. It's the same thing as, like, like, like if you go back and you watch the Auburn game against Alabama, if Tank Bigsby does not go out of bounds, Auburn wins that football game. Auburn wins that game because if a and Alabama has to start using their timeouts, Alabama has to start literally playing with intention and they get one more first down game over we don't need to worry about a four overtime game it's the same thing if a chain gets that first down you will eat up the clock you will get a first down you then will at least give them if anything like what maybe 32 seconds left they wouldn't get that they would not get that 32 seconds left and even if they did they would have had to start calling timeouts after that play so a and m would have likely won that game that's the ugly. That's the straight-up ugly. And there's so much more to talk about. Is this a good season? Is this a bad season? But before we do that, this episode of Lock on Aggies is brought to you by Price Picks. All right, college football fanatics, heads up about Price Picks. It's your daily fantasy college sports mates. Easy. I love it, and I know you will too. It is the leader in college sports daily fantasy that offers more college football props than anybody else in the world and offers five-star players to mid-major level players every single step along the way. All you do is deposit $100. You can get up to a $100 bonus back on your deposit. So say you donate 50 bucks, you'll get 50% back. Say you donate 100, you'll get 100% back when using the promo code LOCKON. You can pick up to two to five players over under projections with up to 10 times the amount of entry. It's all mixed sports, so it's not just football. You can also do basketball. College baseball going to be right around the corner. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less, and the offer withdrawals are ridiculously easy to go get. Stop staying on the sidelines today. Use the promo code LOCKEDON and join in on the action with Price Picks. Fantasy sports made easy. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked on Podcast Network. Thank you so much for making this your first listen every single day. All right, let's continue to go down this line. 
I want to go back to that 32 play because that 32 play is one of those plays where I look and I just wonder what went through that. I really do. Because the run game was working and there was a really good question asked about after the game about why did you not go back to running it with Devon Chain? Because I get why not running it with Isaiah Spiller. I totally do. Like, he's not having his best performance. You know, Jimbo said that he was 100% fine. They just were prepared for number 28. You watched on a multitude of occasions. They were not prepared for number six. And don't get me wrong. Damon Clark was a very good player. I think I counted his total 13 tackles on the game. 13 or 14. Really good job. Silent to silent. Was able to really contain, especially that A and B gap. Read and reaction. Nice job on that part. But you look at the rest of that. When C-gap was open, he was nowhere near there. When the when A-chain was able to get past that first level of defense and he had to go a one-on-one situation, he won, I think, 95% of those matchups. He literally did everything possible going down to the wire to get this done. To me, that was the most amazing part. To me, that was the part where I was sitting there and going, wow. Um, yeah, that is, that's what you want. That's what you want to see. All dang day. And the fact that you didn't want to go ahead and run it on that situation. The worst that happens when you run it is you don't get the first down. You eat the clock. I don't think LSU's calling timeout at that point. I don't know why. I just don't. But when you throw it, you stop the clock automatically. And then you lose four yards on the play. So it's a really convoluted session. And I get it. You know, there's also the play where, uh, you know, uh, SEC officials had to look it over about possibly the fumble recovery. You know, didn't hear the whistle. Shut the ball back by Monty Richardson. We can go into that later. We really can. But even if Jimbo Fisher was given that play, the play calling still was off all game. I didn't agree with a couple of the passes. I didn't agree with a couple of the runs. I definitely did not agree with a lot of the third down situations. AM has struggled immensely on third down this year, which I never thought I would say because of last year, they were the most efficient team in the FBS when it came to third down conversions. And that's the, like, that's a fact. They actually were the best team. They converted 75% of the time. And now they were somewhere like around 51 or 53 or something like that. They struggled converting. Like half the time, plays were over. And that's a testament to what the offense truly is. Now, again, to preface back, Calzada, I don't know what to make of him. I can't blame him for this loss. I can say he had a lot of Aaron throws. I, I've said this multiple times. Dude's got one freaking speed. Learn to hone it in and get some touch and poise on the ball. If you can do that, you probably are the starter going into next season. But because if you have one speed, your wide receivers are having to prepare for 80-mile fastballs coming in at five-yard slants, at five-yard curl routes. They're also preparing for 80-mile fastballs coming in at 50-yard bombs. But keep in mind, it's like playing baseball. The trajectory of the ball is going to slow the inertia down so when it finally gets to your hands, it actually is a nice cushion to where it's hitting you in stride. That's okay to throw it at that speed. At this where, boom, you want accuracy. You don't want power. Yes, it's nice to have power and zip on the ball because if you're getting it in faster, but you also need to make sure it's getting in at an accurately display level. And again, there were a few throws that when you look at Zach, those are just straight up jobs. The Moose Muhammad play, on the, what was it, 18, like like 18 seconds left or whatever it was, when he probably should have caught it for like a 28-yard gain that would have put him at midfield to at least set up maybe a chance to get this game to go to overtime with the field goal from Seth Small, that's on Moose. Like, like that's a play on Moose Muhammad. That's not a play on Zach. 
But the Jalen Preston one on third down, like that, like that's the one that keeps going back into my mind. I'm watching that play and I'm like, okay, it's third down. If you're going to hit Preston, hit him in stride and hit him where it's an easy ball. That is like rule number one if you're a quarterbacks coach. Make it an easy ball. That's the first and second and only thing you want to do to make it work for your coaches. Like, like if you're a coach watching that from the sideline, the only thing you want to do is make it so easy for your wide receivers to pick up the first down. Zach did that sometimes, and Zach did it some other times. But he wasn't the biggest problem. The offensive line, and I get it, young players on the road. And, and again, this is another thing that we really got to talk about with the road with the road struggles this season. When you look at those players, they're only going to get better over time. AM, Ruben Fathery, if he moves to left tackle, great. If he stays at right tackle, totally okay with that. You got Trey Zahn coming, uh, you know, back for another year. You got a couple of young players still coming up. You have a lot of young talent on this roster to where you can probably find that replacement very quickly. Those are things that, like, you just look at and you go, okay, that's fine for now, but it doesn't fix the situation in the moment. Like, it's great for the future, but what about now? Fathery had a decent game. Bryce Foster struggled. Bryce Foster immensely struggled. And I would say Layden Robinson, you know, when he was out there, because if he did miss a couple snaps because he was hurt, had some inconsistencies as well. They were able to get pressure on Calzada up the middle. I was actually very surprised that Jameer Johnson had as good a game as he did. I thought he would be the weak link because if he's been the weak link all season, he actually played pretty well. I'll argue that he was one of the more consistent. He stole a lot of few pressures, I think like three, but he didn't allow a sack. Fathery, I think, was the best of the bunch of the offensive line, and that includes Kenyon Green, but... Everyone else has their inconsistencies. Like, everyone struggled at times during this game. And to me, that's a big deal. Now let's also talk about the road losses in general. A&M at home is a completely different team than they are on the road. Because if I were to tell you that they were 8-4 and four this year, you maybe would believe me, but you would believe those losses came to Ole Miss, which I think a lot of people would guess at this point. Probably, I would say, Alabama. And then you would say, oh, they played probably Kentucky this year. Or they played... Um, they had an ups- like they had a weird upset against LSU or maybe like a um maybe like an Arkansas I get that. Or you would say probably they played Georgia. But no, they lost to Mississippi State. And they lost to um they lost to Arkansas in a neutral site. And they almost lost to Colorado in week two on the road at Empower Field. So when they were playing at Kyle Field this year, they were dominant. I will say that hiccup game against the likes of Mississippi State. To me, that's actually more of just getting adjusted to playing the air raid system than it is anything else. It's not to me like, oh, bad, bad game by AM. It's more so just you gotta get used to the air raid. That's just kind of something you have to do. And when you can't do that, then that becomes a problem. So that to me was always the lot. But every other game, great game against Alabama, great game against South Carolina, great game against sorry, uh Auburn. They actually played really good at home. And on the road, they were a whole different team. Sometimes that's the case. Do you guys remember back in uh, 2019 when AM had to play at Clemson and at LSU and at Georgia? Do you remember that time they had to do those games? It felt very similar to that. Like it was a team that had the pieces to be very good, but they were missing something. I don't know what. I don't know if it was, you know, if it was just something crazy. They were missing a piece. There, there was something off about this AM team this year. And it was road games. Road games made it very challenging. A loss, and, and honestly, a really degrading loss at Ole Miss. A near loss at Colorado. A loss in Arlington to... Um, a, law, loss, I mean, a loss in Arlington to 
Arkansas, and Tiger Stadium. Jimbo Fisher now is 0-2 at Tiger Stadium with Texas A&M. Those are things that only time can probably help. And honestly, I do not know when that time is coming. Hopefully, it will be in the coming months because of next season is going to be a very monumental year for Texas A&M. This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But backswing, your hat falls off near your eyes, and somehow you're running out of your business. Poor visibility can be a big-time relying spreadsheet of outdated financial software. To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to help your food grow with visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR planning, budget, and much, much more. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite, and right now, you can put an end to yours with NetSuite offering a once-in-a-lifetime kind of financing program to get those upgrades ready. Just go to netsuite.com slash locked on N-C-A-A-N-C-A-A. That's right. Don't forget the second A. Head over to netsuite.com for the special end-of-the-year financing number one financial system ground grade. It's netsuite.com slash locked on N-C-A-A. It is here, the beat of the year. It's Cyber Monday. Go to BuiltBar.com. This episode is built, built uh, Locked on Aggies is, of course, sponsored by Built Bar. Go to Built Bar and aim your mouse. Click on at least 20% off everything you can get. That's 20% off everything delicious and nutritious. And keep in mind, Built Bar is fantastic. They have every flavor you, flavor you want. And they've also added in a few new caramel ones. So caramel almond, caramel delight, caramel caramelized candle, check, almonds, check, delight, double check. And you can also get the new puff bars. That means you can get white chocolate cheesecake, a yummy protein treat filled with the marshmallow center covered in white chocolate. Tis the season to save money and go get yourself a nutritious treat to get back on the health kick whenever you feel like it. Go visit BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you will get 20% off. That's right. Two zero percent off at Built Bar. Locked twenty for builtbar.com. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, so I'll talk more of this tonight, and I'll probably be about like good at But let me ask you guys: Do you think this was a good year for Texas? It's a legitimate question. It really is, because if I know there's going to be a lot of people out there that say it wasn't. And I will be one of them. It wasn't a good year for Texas A&M. But I also will say I came in a skeptic. I did have A&M beating Alabama this year. I did have them losing to Ole Miss this year. I thought that they were going to go 10-2. I thought they were going to blow one other game. I didn't know which one. I thought maybe it would be Arkansas. Maybe it would be um, Auburn. I thought they were going to be a 10-2 team. And the reason was because of the offensive line. You do not understand how important it is to fix the trenches so quickly. And losing a guy, that's easy. You can go ahead and find a replacement. You can go ahead and shift some things around. Your left tackle maybe has to move to right tackle because you have an up-and-coming left tackle. You got to move your right tackle to right guard. That's an easy fix. Your center is really good, but he's, you know you have a really good emerging five-star coming in. Play him at the center, move the center to guard. It's an easy fix. Replacing four offensive linemen is not an easy fix. It's actually one of the hardest things to do. And I would say that besides finding a franchise quarterback in the NFL, rebuilding an offensive line to the max is probably the second hardest thing to do because of they're responsible of protecting the quarterback. But on top of that, they have to be elite at opening running lanes for your run-based offense. 
Texas A&M, as much as you want to admit that they have really good wide receivers up and coming, guys like Demond Demas, he showed enough this year to where I think that he could have a breakout season in 2022. Moose Mukawi, I do think that even though he had that big time drop, it would be hard for me to consider him anything less than an up and coming superstar at the number two, maybe even the number one position. And then you have guys like UK, Cleef Brown, a few others in the building. You can do a lot with this team. This is a run team. Isaiah Spiller, Devon Chain. And when you take away the running aspect of the games and you force Zach Calzada to be the entire bit of pressure, a guy who can't run, and you saw it. I know he's been dealing with injuries left and right, but you saw it. He can't run. He just, he, I, he can't. He, twice, he fell down instead of, and took the sack instead of trying to run. Like, he can't run. When that's the case, you're a limited team. And that was really it all year for AM. They had their moments. They had a lot of good moments. The South Carolina game. The Auburn game. The preview a and I mean, I'll throw that one in there, I guess. Um, Arkansas, at times, they were really good at moving the ball. But when they weren't able to move the ball against Mississippi State, really until the third quarter against Ole Miss, LSU, you watched what happened. You watched A&M throw the season away. I thought 10-2 and two would have been considered a good year for A&M. I think 8-4... and four, is probably, looking back, more of a reasonable, knowing what the offensive line was going to be, knowing that Haynes was going to be out for the entire year. 8-4 and four was probably a really good year. But that just shows that at any given moment, the fact that if you don't have a complete roster, you are screwed. 9-1 and one last year was a stellar year. And I do believe that A&M can next year be 11-1, 10-2, 12-0 possibly. There's a lot to like. But when you lose four offensive linemen, and you lose the guy that is clearly QB1 in the battle. Eight and four, nine and three. I would actually consider that probably a really good year knowing the circumstances. But now knowing that they never, that the, the inconsistencies that we saw, consistently the inconsistencies, that's another clue word. The, incons- the consistency of the inconsistency. AM is in trouble. Like AM at eight and four was probably one of the better cases. That's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked on Aggies. I'll be back tomorrow's show to talk a little bit more about what to expect moving forward. What are some bowl games that Texas A&M could be in? And of course, we got to talk about the new SEC hires. We also want to talk a little bit about Oklahoma, who's coming to the SEC in a few years. What a bombshell with that. There's a lot to be discussed. See you tomorrow. And remember, take them, y'all. This has been Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked on Podcast Network.